Welcome to the UX Growth Podcast, your go-to source for expert insights and actual advice on all things UX design. If you're enjoying the show, I would love for you to subscribe and never miss an episode on your podcasting platform. And don't forget to sign up for our UX Growth Insider newsletter, where you will get exclusive access to even more resources, tips, and insights that help you take your UX design skills to the next level. Be sure to check out our website at theuxgrowth.com, where you can find show notes and links to our social media channels. And last but not least, be sure to follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn for even more UX design goodness. All links are found in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and let's grow together. Hi, this is the UX Growth Podcast, a podcast that helps people learn and grow in the UX design industry. I'm your host, McMahon. I'm here with another guest of Season 2 with Dushant Kanongo, Director of Design at Galaxy Weblink and podcast host of the UX Banter. Thank you for being here, Dushant. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, very excited to be here. Yes, let's begin by tell us a bit about you and how'd you get to the place you are today? Um, so I um, started my career about 20 years ago and uh, completed my graduation from uh, Bristol, UK. Um, and uh, right now, uh, um, after so many years in the industry, work with multiple domains from uh, telecom to retail to, um, well, enterprise UX is basically uh, is my speciality. And uh, that is pretty much it career-wise. <laughs> yeah, uh, man, it is so fascinating to learn about how other people go about the UX design. And one thing that you are also specialized so much into is the importance of holistic approach in UX design. And I think that's such a fascinating topic to go over. So I'm really just, just fascinated to learn more about it. But what is the holistic design that goes into UX design? So basically, I think it's it's a very interesting domain in itself because uh, there are multiple factors to creating an experience that actually works not just for the end users, but you also have to cover the part where the business objectives and goals are also covered. Mm -hmm. um, challenges arrive, well, well, as I mentioned about the enterprise UX um, zone is that the business objectives become uh, primary in terms of that they want to achieve something um, right from the word get go and uh, you have to have the buy-in included into the uh, the entire design process from various stakeholders because there are certain challenges that comes with enterprise such as technical handicaps sometimes um, the specific um, barriers to entry into the uh, the execution of it because the multiple um, technical systems are mm -hmm. built in uh, together and I think the, the best thing that you can actually do while designing for holistic uh, way of user experience design is to look into what whatever data pieces that you can actually get in. Mm -hmm. So um, as Jakob Nelson uh, once mentioned that um, any data is good data. So you have to have that sort of mindset that you need to design the process in which uh, you can collect as much data as possible. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. have to be the full-on process, but you need to see that what are the data elements that you can actually collect. So sometimes it may happen that you have to watch 
uh, YouTube reviews of the products and services that you're offering yeah. um, and try to uh, collect the data and make sure that you are actually getting from the starting to end point and creating a narrative in which the design is created or proposed. Um, so I think it, this is where uh, the whole experience um, comes to be that as a designer, you don't have to rely upon whether or not you have that bandwidth provided by um, the stakeholders if you don't have the budget to do some research, but making sure that all the part is included in the uh, in the ecosystem of the design, right from the, the C-level execs to the end user, to somebody who is actually providing support, they are all um, covered and they are gelling with multiple systems together um, mm -hmm. to give the, 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 the uniform uh, experience to the end user. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree and know the challenges of it all to balance like the user's needs, the business needs, and the amount of people that could be involved to make sure that all the processing happens as smooth as possible, especially if you're on a budget and time. Of course, so I really love to hear your insight of like, how does one balance all that? How do you figure out which one's like the most important and where are some of the ways that we can go through the challenges of making sure that it goes as smoothly as possible? <laughs> actually, so this is, this becomes uh, very critical while we are actually doing for say, for the enterprise UX side of things. Um, so the one mindset that uh, comes, I mean, I'm just talking about from the enterprise Price UX point okay. of view that Absolutely. everybody thinks the users are uh, mostly B2B people and they are getting paid to use the systems. So their experience is not important. Generally, how the mindset actually comes to be. But then they miss out on the most important aspect of it, which is the ROI. The more mm -hmm. time people are spending on learning the system, the more time you are spending on the training side of things, um, the less they are actually performing or working on the system to accomplish that task. That time that actually goes into learning of the system becomes, um, you know, it, it's an invisible um, cost to the organization that people generally don't understand. And if we are going to um, resolve the matter, those are the pointers that we actually take. So the approach becomes, or the prioritization comes from the fact that now as a UX designer, uh, our job becomes the user advocacy. So you have to create or build into that empathy in yourself, put yourself into the shoes of the end mm -hmm. user and then see that. Do you think that this is the task that I'm performing and this should take this much time to actually complete? What is the emergency of it? What is the urgency of it? What is the priority of it? So in the information designs, whenever we are actually creating the IA, for example, um, not just we go with the mathematical equation uh, where we just say that what sort of user is going to perform what action and where it actually lives in the hierarchy of the IA. But we also need to think about that. What are the shortcuts that we can actually provide? What are the accelerators that can be built into the system to uh, achieve those certain tasks? And yeah. it, it may be happened in, in the case that where you have like 20 different modules in one application, but there are five tasks um, that you're performing across like uh, six different modules. But if there is an accelerator that can be built into the system, 
So thinking from that point of view actually not just helps you do the prioritization, but mm-hmm. also makes some more uh, delightful to the end mm-hmm. user that this is the task that I'm going to perform 20 times a day. And here is a task that I'm going to perform once a month. So the prioritization you need to actually think. Um, uh, so rather than going with the full journey, they're going to the navigation, switching to the module and then performing rather than that, just have one clear navigation item just to make sure that the prioritization is done correctly. So I think when you when you look at it, this is one method that we are uh, we have developed recently, which is uh, to think about that various user sets, um, what they are looking for, even for a website, for example, mm-hmm. that if you say that there are four types of users which you are getting on your website, and you see that what is the first type of the user, what is the most important item, what is the least important item for them. Yeah. So if you run through all the four type of users, if you do the numbering with individual uh, user type and the information they are actually seeking, um, then in the end, you can actually calculate with the numbering. You you will realize that what are the items which becomes the highest of the priority and which are the least of the priority and then mm-hmm. decide on the navigation rather than just assuming that uh, somebody from the higher up in the management decides that uh, on the client end that this is the navigation structure that we want. So having that proof, that evidence somewhere built into the system, uh, making sure that you're relying on the data and presenting evidence-based um, structure to your design um, is is how we um, try to uh, go and execute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And for the process of the, the different levels of the importance, as well as I love that word you use for delighting the users. I think that is such an incredible mindset to be able to have. It also feels very difficult because we really have to get in the mind of the user of like what creates joy because it's it's easy to look at the frustration parts because, you know, it's easy, easy to see the negativity, but like the positive. I feel like what are some ways that more UX designers can change that mindset of always looking at the negatives to remove that, but also like creating positives to create a delightful experience. I really love to hear your in, your insight on that. You know, rather than relying on your primary or secondary uh, navigations, just figuring out ways where you can actually add in accelerators, making sure that uh, things which are Say, for example, Google uh, Chrome uh, or generally all the browsers these days have the autofill information. So you have a long form to fill and you click and everything is just there. Um, So that is your information that you have saved locally on your browser, for example, filling in the full address. Mm -hmm. And this is accelerator that actually allows you to type less and perform the action directly. So that is one part of delight. But... So carrying that information, that whatever information system has, you're not asking the users to repeat the information, just uh, building into uh, the forms that only you ask the required information rather than just asking them the 360 form fill up um, task to be done, carrying over the information, making sure the context from one screen to another screen is carried over. Mm-hmm. That uh, something that most of the, uh, the flows, they miss out on. In generally, so the more uh, linear the experience, as in the context oh, okay. is carried from say, two streets ago, you did something or said something. If it is you know followed through, uh, the better the user's experience will be. So re- rather than relying on all the bots and the algorithms, just min- just keeping this in mind that 
um, this is how they have prioritized information and we are actually continuing it. These are the inputs that we already have. We can mm -hmm. cross-reference in our database that that is the information that user had already provided. And uh, if on the same lines, if we can um, ask specific question, filter down the information, make sure that the funnel is very clear for them to uh, go from point A to point Z, um, that becomes, um, I think, that that adds to the delight. Those small um, small interactions, but not mm -hmm. just the interaction side of things, those small gestures for the mm -hmm. user that actually baked into the system uh, by yourself. Oh, man, speaking of that, it reminds me of like the perfect example of like recently where you would have like a, a login and you would send you a text, like you got to log in on your mobile phone and you get a text message of what the login uh, credentials are. And now like what uh, these like iPhone devices now do is that instead of actually going to your messaging app to be able to find a code, it instantly says it right on the keyboard. So you can just uh, tap that and it fills it in just for you without actually having to get out of that app into another app copy and paste the code and go back to the app to paste it. It just feels like such a delightful experience because it feels like less actions have to be made to accomplish something. Yes, that is an accelerator, Nick. And also there's one more interaction that I found recently, which is with uh, Amazon. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was using the Amazon app and when uh, it goes for that one-time password, so rather than relying on the keyboard, the page itself says that we are waiting uh, for the code and code arrives, it takes it automatically. So you don't even need to tap on that number. So these are the accelerators that um, th that are baked in. And uh, I think this is this is where uh, the, the delight comes in that, you know, I can be lying and uh, in my bed and, you know, this happens and I don't need to actually touch anything. The faster you can, um, make the system uh, again. The Fed's law actually, you know, applies here in a different manner. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, that, yeah. that you do not make, uh, you don't want user to actually do anything uh, by by thinking. So again, Steve Kirk, uh, don't make me think. Part actually also yeah. uh, can be created that you 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 don't need to worry about anything. It is already in the system. It is happening, and it just does from point A to point B. Another example from. Uh, you just mentioned iPhones and MacBooks. I mean, um, if you are migrating from one device to another, you just have to just connect two laptops by a simple cable and just you have the whole uh, data system, data set. You don't need to worry about what computer you're using and then everything just migrates. And that sort of migration is, I think, the best accelerators that I can have. They have removed the barrier to entry. So every time I, if I'm supposed to upgrade my laptop, uh, I don't need to worry about that. What will happen to all my files? And do I need to take the backup? And then I need to reorganize and reinstall and enter the licenses once again. So nothing is required now. You just need to plug two in and your entire computer is now moved over to another uh, hardware. It's a reincarnation of the <laughs> of the systems of being um be your uh you know uh, desktop or whatever and this is how you add the delightful part that even though something is changed i still have the same information the same data that you know i was using and um the barrier to entry is is reduced and that is 
what is happening with just one-time passwords. And the same thing is happening with those forms that I mentioned, the, the, the places where you have to fill out long forms. So yeah, these are minor bits. Um, so in terms of um, heuristic evaluation, um, if whenever we do with the UI, these are the accelerators which uh, come into the play and help the users uh, just accelerate the process without thinking, just help them proceed or progress in the journey um, which is laid out in front of them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so how everything this guy comes together, you know, the that is the holistic approach in a nutshell about how all this design just works and removes as much friction as possible to get what you know what we are in for. So, what do you say are some of the the common challenges that you have? Uh, do you see with uh, other designers when they're trying to have a holistic approach in their design methods? Um, I think. Challenges-wise, there are two parts, as I said. That one part was creating the holistic experience for the end user, where we are mm -hmm. actually adding those accessories and making sure there are third-party dependencies are not in. And the second challenge, which I mentioned, which is about buy-in uh, from the stakeholders, which actually causes a lot of trouble because you don't just have to convince people that this is the best way of proceeding. Uh, yeah. But the challenge becomes evident because sometimes what happens is um, there is already pre-developed uh, pieces of code. The coding debt that you are willing to add after proposing some tech, the budgetary issues becomes the bigger problem than anything else. Mm -hmm. So even though people agree uh, that this is the best way of doing something, this is the way of execution. Um, but when it comes to actually proposing something into the table that's saying that this is what is going into development, that is where getting the priority accepted by uh, the the purchasing managers or the, uh, the whoever is handling the budget becomes the biggest challenge. So that seat at the table is, uh, is, is easy to find, but getting your voice heard and getting voted in favor of whatever you have proposed becomes the bigger challenge. Mm -hmm. They have already developed and that is how we have been doing for these many years. And if we are going to change the direction on uh, certain experiences, we might need certain budget. And that is that is where, um, you know, the biggest challenges arrive. And I think the best way of dealing with them is trying to burrow your way ever so slightly, just trying to uh, get one thing uh, into the next release ship. So every single time the next release is actually going, you are just putting one thing, one tiny change that nobody is actually looking at. And uh, this is how you gradually, over the period of time, bringing in that transformation that you are uh, planning to do. Because small things, it's okay. But the moment you propose something which is 360, that is where without rocking the boat, actually, uh, is, the, mm. is the art of it that how... Uh, go about it so i think another challenge becomes is that because uh, most of the time whenever we are actually developing getting the, the to convince the developers that something is actually possible it is not that difficult to do um, is another part of the exercise because they are all on a tight schedule uh, everybody wants to uh, do the best for the product but as the project management guidelines go that you have to be careful about the time the budget and the scope and if as a designer, I'm adding on to the scope, I'm dealing or, you know, threatening the other two aspects of the budget and time. So <laughs> mm -hmm. that that becomes the challenge that you you can't just uh, 
drive the car as you built it. Um, so that is where we need to find the actual balance. And that becomes a bigger challenge uh, than um, any other um, way of execution um, or, or doing it, be it a website, a mobile app, an enterprise application, that how can or how much levy do we have to balloon uh, the core scope requirement? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you actually answered my next topic that I really love to talk about is getting the stakeholders involved in our design process. I know you touched on that quite a bit already, but I just would like to know, like, uh, for like uh, the beginners who are listening to this podcast, like, what would your advice for them so that they can get their voice heard? Because a lot of them, it, you know, it feels like that because they're new and they're, they're inexperienced, it feels like they don't really have a say or just yet. And I just like, would love to hear your experience and their, your advice for them so that they can actually get their voices heard and feel like they are part of the solution. So there are two ways. One is collect as much evidence as you can. And mm -hmm. the evidence becomes uh, your best friend. If you can actually show uh, that how uh, this is done by others, uh, Google Images is one of the best sources for it. If you want to get it solved, you can actually just show and tell. That is how uh, I would propose uh, for any new solution. Even before designing, you can actually just go in and say, okay, these, here are the 20 different examples of the way people have actually uh, done it. And this is what we are proposing to design or baking into uh, this new feature into the system or this is the interaction that we are going after. And if everybody agrees, then you can actually proceed to design or you can actually just design and show the examples of others uh, doing it. And then you show that how it will appear in your system. So that evidence of um, known interaction. So you're not increasing the learning curve, but you're also proposing something which is already familiar um, to the users. They are using it already in the different systems. And if you are proposing the similar solution, um, this is uh, going to be um, an easy buy-in uh, from the stakeholders' point of view. So that is one part. Second is look at the data. Data never lies. If you uh, have it somewhere in the system, um, if you have to show for it, uh, you can certainly ask to change the direction. Just one example that I can actually give you on this. I was uh, working on this website. Um, and the website was for uh, tuxedos. Uh, they were selling uh, brilliant design tuxedos. You can just go in, you can just fill out the form of the, that what are the sizes and uh, you can just order. So now you would imagine the tuxedos are predominantly um, worn by men. Uh, and that is how uh, for the weddings and stuff. So you would imagine the website should be primarily aimed at that particular audience set. So while we were uh, starting to you know, redesign, we looked at the analytics data and it turned out that the sales funnel that was going to the end of the journey, 60% of people who were actually completing the journey were women. And I was surprised. I'd, the first thought came to my mind was that it could be wrong. The data could be uh, not up to the mark or maybe you know something has to be done about it. So I actually um, called the clients and said, listen, this is what we have found and I'm not sure if this is the right uh, data set. And they said, you know what? Whenever we get an order, we have to call 
and get it confirmed that the sizes or the, the measurement that you have provided is correct. And more often than not, it's a woman who a woman who picks up the phone and they actually confirm it. So I think your data is correct because men, they don't want to go and browse and do the ordering for tuxedos. And it's just the women in their life who are actually doing it. And we're like, this is insane. I mean, this is a data validated that we have. So the entire design um, then was shifted from uh, making sure it is just uh, suave men with uh you know trying to show off to uh, women in, on the on the pages to um men uh so in terms of the photo shoot and all the direction it was repurposed now to focus on how uh, women who are coming to order those tuxedos for people in their lives um are you know going to be using the website and the journey customization was done like that so look at the data figure out what are the um key uh, things that can actually disapprove your hypothesis that whatever you are proposing. Check out that what are the barriers that you can identify yourself. Empathize, I think that is one of the key words that uh, you can always carry with you. Mm -hmm. um, and then make sure that there is always some data to support your claim. It is not about making the logo five pixel bigger or moving to the right. It is always about that. Um, is it Valid it, it if it can be validated, get it validated. If you are confused about two colors, get it validated. It's not that expensive to actually do so. So every time uh, you have a confusion, go for A B testing, go for um, just choice A or B. There are multiple platforms available that help you do that. So as a designer, it's not about making a decision or making a choice by yourself, but you are the advocate. It doesn't matter whether the crime was committed or not. It is about putting the advocacy of the user uh, in, in front mm -hmm. of uh, the stakeholders and let them be the judges to make the final call. It's their product, their investment in the end. So they are going to make the call anyway. But it's our job to make sure the investigation and recommendations are done correctly and that is the business rather than deciding that if the whatever is the proposed solution is right or not yeah yeah i completely agree with all that especially because you know data is the one that really should support every action we make and what we do because if you're not doing based on data then you're like you're always going to come off to a, a rough start and you can't go to a good finish because of that uh, also i and it's just so funny uh, to learn about how the tuxedos. And I, yeah, I, I agree. It feels, it feels like when we do a lot of the shopping, even for the guys, it's actually really incredible because uh, I remember I had to make a, I had to get a suit for a photo shoot. And I definitely noticed that I was in a store for a men's warehouse and there were oh, quite a few women shopping for their sons or their husbands. It's actually really funny. And they would just have their measurements on hand and be able to pick out their outfits for them. So I, I definitely believe it. it. I think it's just because uh, like women are more focused into fashion than we are as men. I know I, I couldn't really care less about fashion, to be honest. So that's kind of how I always like to get into my, my own biases about how like people view fashion and like why I can never go based on my personal taste because of that. 
So it's, you True. know, it's a very, you know, it's a very incredible experience about how we have our own biases about the way we think are the users are and then realizing like, oh, okay, they're not exact. There's, there's more to the users than we expect. And then realizing that, okay, now we got to solve their problems and what their expectations are and go for that whole or ordeal that we had no idea that that was a part of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is why the last part, which I said that never think about you are the one who is who knows anything because generally everything in the end boils down to the another great book on the topic which is called it depends so being the advocate being uh the investigative detective is i think uh the best approach to uh creating a winning and experience uh for for the users Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it feels like a cliche that everything we do must be for the users. If, you know, it, it honestly feels even oversimplification when you like really comes down to it. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's why that's why we, we do what we do, you know, for all the process of it. So as we're drawing close to this episode, what's the best way to support what you're doing, Dushant? Um, so I have, I'm the director of Galaxy UX Studio, uh, and also I have a podcast called UX Banter. Uh, so you can just, uh, listen to the podcast in which I try to connect with the best of the industry leaders and, uh, just try to know more about their processes, how they actually function in their organization, what their journey has been that where mm -hmm. they started, where. Uh, it led to and how uh, one can uh, follow their footsteps. That is all part of uh, that podcast. Other than that, I have also written a book called UX Decoded, uh, which is available on Amazon and other platforms um, where I talk about the process that we actually follow with all the topics that we discuss about the holistic design approach and uh, the execution side of it. Um, so yeah, so but I also can be reached on uh, LinkedIn uh, if you guys want to follow it. So that is uh, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Dushyant MK uh, is, is the ID. So feel free to just uh, drop a line or initiate a conversation. I also do mentoring at ADP list. Um, so if you want to, uh, anybody wants to connect with me for a one-on-one -on -one session, um, yeah, feel free to go to adplist.com and uh, search for my name and uh, we can uh, definitely connect and uh, talk more. Yeah, man, I absolutely love ADP list, man. It, it, when I first heard that website, I thought it was a scam because it was just too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, too good to be true. But I think <laughs> Felix has done wonderful well uh, by <sighs> initiating that. And he was the first guest on my podcast when oh I started. And I was yeah, I, I wasn't sure that how to go about on my podcast and who are the people who are going to be joining in. So I thought, okay, now I need some leverage. And I reached out to him and said, Listen, man, this is the thing that I'm doing, and I'm not sure how to start. Would you mind joining in as my first <laughs> wow. guest? <laughs> wow. He was uh, very nice to say, okay, all right, I'll do it to make sure that your podcasting career actually stays afloat. And <laughs> his was the first podcast that I recorded. And then his name I used as the big liver to just lift my entire podcast on, on, on the ground up. Wow, that's incredible. So, yeah. 
because you know i can even talk <laughs> talk from my own uh beginning uh like and like when i when i started uh started this podcast i feel like no one would want to talk with me because i felt like i was a nobody in the podcast and uh the ux space so it's like it really is incredible that that we have these mental blocks for ourselves that we we can just tell that it feels like like you know we're not good enough or other people are too busy for us. It's imposter syndrome that you're talking about. Yeah. The imposter syndrome actually runs with every single designer. Everybody who's in the industry has the doubt somewhere crept in or built into our mindset. <laughs> yep. If I had to say what is the most common topic every designer talks about on this podcast is imposter syndrome. I fully believe every single designer feels that every, every designer has their own story of it. So it, it definitely is a real, real thing. And it's something that we all just need to overcome. I also just want to say like, it's kind of, it's also a humbling experience to have it as well, because you don't want to sound like you have too much of an ego either. You know, there's, there definitely is the opposite side of the, of the problem too. So I really feel like I'd rather have the imposter syndrome than feeling like I'm too good. I can never improve. <laughs> no, but you were saying about the your journey that you had, you were feeling yeah. that you were not good enough to do UX uh, podcast. Yes, absolutely. It, yeah, it's, it definitely is a real feeling just because it feels, because not only is like talking about the UX design field of talking to people who are much more experienced than me, but it's also like being in the podcasting uh, area that got to make sure that everything works, everything flows. Like I remember, like I would have this script and I'll hang on to it for dear life and feel like anything that went over th that script, I feel lost. I feel like I didn't know what to do. Like, I, like I'm going down a waterfall and hope I can some, somehow survive. Now it's like, I feel like I can get a general gist I could ride a wave. Now I can get back on topic on certain questions if necessary. And so sometimes even the time doesn't happen. And some of the questions I don't get, I want to ask this happen. Like, no worries. Everything's all, everything just flows. You know, I realized that <laughs> podcasting, podcasting is not like, not, it's not like climbing a ladder where it's very structured. It's like riding a wave where it will flow what is necessary. And, you know, so, and if, if you fall off the board, you just get back on. That's true. That's that's actually uh, has been my experience as well. That anybody who's deciding to do a podcast, if you're too much stuck with the script, you are actually not going to go anywhere. You have to make sure that the conversation, the tensions are correct. That you are actually writing from one point two of the conversation. It has to be a very casual um, attachment with one another. Otherwise, I think anybody who is listening um, is going to feel like you're reading off a <laughs> off of a paper and then just going going with it. Yeah, no. Also, uh, yeah. <laughs> also, after some time, when there's some things that you may have to read, that it comes out a little more naturally once you get really used to it. <laughs> so, for all the process that I've been saying, like, oh man, there, there definitely are some phrases. Like, I feel like I just memorize. I don't even have to think about. Like, even the, my first question I always ask is, it's the same question for literally everyone, which is, you know, we're, uh, you know, how'd you get to where you are today, and it just flows out for me. Like, I don't even feel like I have to think about it at all just because it's always the opening question. But also the fact that sometimes you can be a little, you can get a little too comfortable with it all. And that's why sometimes it's best to mix it up and be able to look at some different questions and different topics. For example, holistic design. I, I think I've touched on this topic with some previous guests, but I never really 
talked all about it with a guest before. So that's like, that was a really fun experience for me. So that's why, you know, I guess I definitely thank you, Deshaun, for being able to showcase your, your experience on that and being able to really dive into that area. Thank you very much. And it was a pleasure to actually go with the, um, the entire experience of this conversation. And uh, I also think that just like the conversation of the podcast, UX also should follow a structure rather than the entire scripted process in which you are trying to generate the documents. And I think that is uh, that helps with every which way that you are actually working. So be it podcasting, be it UX design, and just you know talking to you actually helped me realize a lot more factors about the ux as well the more you repeat the more you understand and better you become in the profession that is why we call it practicing yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thank you uh, nick for inviting me over the podcast and it was a pleasure to be here yeah absolutely Deshant. and uh and also all links of what Dushant said with his LinkedIn, his book, his podcast, and mentoring on the ADP list is all found in the show notes. So you can easily check them out. Uh man. Any closing words you'd like our audience to know about Dushant? Um, just first thing is practice more, check out how other people are doing it, make sure that you are not afraid of exploring, coming up with the best methods to synthesize the data. Data is everywhere. Try yeah. to see how best you can actually uh, collect the data and see if there is any opportunity that you are getting to speak with the real users. See how, how people are behaving with digital systems. It could be your grandparents. It could be your best friend's um, cousin or whoever is actually dealing with uh, those smaller way of interacting with the systems. The more you observe, the more you learn and uh, better you will become. So that's it and good luck. Yes, absolutely. It's been a wonderful <laughs> experience. So please do support our guests. Until then, you just listen to the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening.